Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 104. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts, and this is the panel discussion show where a group of biology teachers get together and talk about what's going on in our classroom. Uh, so joining us uh, today, first joining us from Arizona is Tanea Hibbler. Welcome, Tanea. Hi. Hi. And so we're going to ask a, a silly question to start every episode, and our silly question is, who would win a fight between a honey badger or a plasmodium? or a plasmodium so a plasmodium slime mold or a plasmodium that causes malaria who is who's your winner of that that battle i was thinking it was gonna be the badger but then when you said the plasmodium that causes malaria i don't know do badgers get malaria i don't know you guys gotta help me with this one uh, i'm gonna go like with a badger. I was going to say a scientist who gets a question and asks a question. Perfect. Perfect way of handling that. All right. And also joining us from Missouri is Ryan Laxon. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. So so who's your, your pick? I, I feel like you almost wrote this question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would absolutely go for the plasmodium, the parasite. I mean, what kills more people, plasmodia or uh, honey badgers? Oh, okay, so we're going with deadliness there. Okay, so we're going with uh, malaria causing, causing it. And uh, last but not least, uh, uh, joining us from Texas is Lee Ferguson. Hello, everybody. And I'm going to go with the malaria-causing plasmodium because, I mean, unless you you know, don't live in a place where the mosquito that carries that guy is endemic, then you're okay. But, man, if you don't have the sickle trait and you live in a, in an, a malarial zone, you're screwed. <laughs> So, yeah, um, my my money's on the on the parasite. All right, today you gonna you want to you you thought about it? You want to change your answer now that everyone's got in because you had the unfortunate answer of going first. You know, badgers eat a lot of different types of food, and they live in Asia and I think and Africa and some other parts. So they they might exist in places where malaria exists. Yeah. I mean, and honey badgers are pretty badass. Have you seen the video that shows what this honey badger, what honey badgers do? <laughs> like they could tear up a cobra. <laughs> like I can't get that image out of my mind where that honey badger is just like ripping the snake apart and just like eating it. Like it just does not care <laughs> at all. And, and they say they dig up uh, human graves and they eat the dead people. That's what, what they say they do. For real? That's what they said they were known to do in India. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to cross a honey badger. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm still picking the slime mold. I don't care about the rest of you. But that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm going long distance running. The plasmodium is going to survive us all. Outlast us all. There'll still be plasmodiums long after there's honey badgers or uh, malaria left on the planet. There'll still be slime mold. So um. <laughs> that is probably true. <laughs> I may be the only person wearing a shirt that has uh, a fungus on it at the moment. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so, uh, 
fungus like protists of you know i i don't know where pla- i don't know where the plasmodium slime mold fit into that i have to go back and look at it the, they've broken the protists up into like nine groups now so i don't know how close it is uh to my my beloved fungi but uh, i think it's there <laughs> yeah i just say that the protists are like the land of the misfit toys from from that one um christmas yeah. cartoon you know because they don't know that they're like they're not animal enough to be animals they're not plant enough to be plants and they're not fungal enough to be fungi you know so it's just like okay we're just gonna put you all together here you're the misfit toys because we don't know what you are (laughs) yeah i call them the i call them the junk drawer Um, yes yes we have the we have the cabinet for the pots we got the place where we put the groceries and stuff that we don't know where to put it and that's our that's our junk drawer so all right. Well, uh, for for this episode, we had decided that we wanted to talk about uh, features of running a lab, and specifically, you know, uh, how do you run a lab in a pandemic is sort of the overarching thing that I think we've all been struggling with. But uh, more fundamentally, we were we were talking about like sort of what are the features of a good lab, and and like any other thing, when you get into a crisis, and that crisis could be you know, uh, a weather issue, like we're up, I'm in the Northeast, we get blizzards that shut us down for a few days and we have to make calls. And some people live in hurricane areas or, or other phenomena that come along where you'd have no way of, uh, of anticipating those things. So we have some experience of getting in these unknown territories and then having to make decisions about how do you get through a lab through a difficult situation. But now globally, we're all dealing with new situations and we're trying to come up with um, how to choose investigations and labs to do with our students. And it, it's, I, you know, it's, it's been a, a dilemma to say the least. So I think we're going to start before we get into like what we're doing and just go back to sort of fundamentals and, and how do we normally choose labs for investigations. So uh, this is that pretend time where we're going to pretend like we're not in the midst of a pandemic we, we don't we don't have four thousand emails we're, 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 nobody's coming to us for tech support um we're just we're, we just we just go to work and do the thing that we do which is is teach kids about science and, and i want to know how do you guys go about choosing labs or investigations uh to do and so let's start with you lee okay like what's sort of your what's sort of your uh the lens you look through when you're trying to choose a lab or an investigation. So in the before times <laughs> when I would do labs with kids, um, you know, the first thing that I would always look at is, okay, what do I want my kids to learn, you know, in terms of skills and in terms of content? Um, am I using this to introduce a concept to kids, you know, where they're just kind of like exploring and playing around or am I using this in the middle of a lesson where we've learned a little bit of content and now we're going to, you know, apply that content or is this kind of the accumulating experience for the unit, right? Like, Hey, we've learned all of these things and now I want you to kind of bring all that stuff together and, you know, have a, a, a structured inquiry, right? Like some mm-hmm. kind of a structured inquiry because just, be, you know, because free inquiry is not possible with my situation just because I have so many um, students and supplies are limited. And so, um, you know, do I have the things I need to do the lab? You know, do I need to buy special equipment? Do I need to get certain reagents? Um, You know, that sort of thing. And then something else I think about, and it's maybe selfish, but it's like, okay, have I done this before, you know, or have I done this, you know, or is this brand new to me or is this something I'm tweaking because I've done it 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, because after you've been teaching for a while, that's definitely a possibility that you've done, you know, some kind of lab, all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, while you might get bored with it, you got to remember that the kids that you're teaching have never seen it before. And so, you know, sometimes I'll tweak something ever so slightly just to placate the, the, the part of me that gets very bored with, you know, too much routine. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that go into, you know, trying to plan for a lab experience that, you know, the kids will learn from that they'll have fun with, right? You don't want lab to be a drudgery, Um, you know, because to me, lab is one of the reasons why kids take science and enjoy it. You know, they love getting to do science and, and, and I think they should love doing science, you know, because if you don't do science, you're not going to learn it. And so, you know, I also want them to be able to manipulate as much as possible, you know, stuff in the lab, right? Like I don't want them to get a prescribed answer, as, as much as possible. I don't want them to get a prescribed answer because then what's the point? <laughs> you know, what's the point? Yeah. There's, that's an, it's an interesting balance, I think, um, about, about the, the unknown and the certainty and sort of where your kids are and mm-hmm. how much of each to do that. I was, as you were thinking about that, the, the labs and, you know, I've been in the classroom for 25 years. Um, I, I came up with one lab that I think that I have that's that I haven't like completely gotten rid of and I've done different versions of it. Mm-hmm. But I would say that I don't have any labs that have been sort of canon labs for me. Ones that I, I do every year that mm-hmm. I haven't changed. My lab, the labs that I do sort of sh- rotate and shift, even sometimes cyclically where I'll go away for something for four or five years. But so are there are there labs that you like feel like you've been doing for, you know, 15 years and like you're still doing that like same lab, you know, maybe twists on it. Is there like maybe one or two that like you've been doing forever? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, if I had to pick, there's actually a few of them. Um, one of them is obviously the, the molarity, the osmolarity and potato tissue lab. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done that one since ever <laughs> I mean, yeah. since I've taught AP. So that's been 17 years in a row now. Um, some kind of enzyme lab. And I've done that since my first year teaching. So, I mean, I've been teaching just as long as you have. And, and, and so I've done some version of an enzymes lab, although I'm getting ready to do a different type of enzymes lab this week with my IB (laughs) students, you know, because most of them are at home. And so I asked them last week, I was like, all right, so if I asked you to cook jello next week, could you do it? And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, good. Cause that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to cook some jello next week and get some pineapple and, <laughs> and you'll see what we'll do from there. Um, you know, but yeah, there's definitely some labs because let's face it, there's some labs that, you know, yes, they should be part of your, your repertoire because they teach some pretty fundamental things about biology and biological concepts. And, I don't feel like, at least in 25 years, I've not found other ways to to teach those concepts through lab, mm-hmm. you know, so until a different way comes along, you know, that does it just as well or better than the way I've been doing it, then then I'm going to continue to do those things. And I mean, and, and like I said, the, the tweaks are kind of small, you know, I mean, it's, it's the difference between using just a yeast suspension and a yeast sphere made of, so, you know, calcium alginate, you know, um, you know, stuff like that. And so just small little tweaks here and there to, to do labs 
you know, as long as it keeps it interesting for me, <laughs> and like I said, that's really selfish, but it's got to be interesting for me too, um, you know, and keeps it interesting for the kids, yeah. you know, and, and they're, as long as they're learning the same concept, the same basic concept that I'm, that I'm hoping they'll learn, then, then I think that, you know, small tweaks here and there are not a bad thing. They're really not. And it keeps me learning new things and new ways to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My answer was going to be the enzyme lab is the one that's probably been the least, the least variable. Um, and, uh, and the labs that are in the potato osmolarity one is one I've been doing since I, I did AP, but I still even have like last year because of the pandemic, that mm -hmm. was one that, cause I, I always move around my curriculum. Um, uh, mm -hmm. I ended up doing baby carrots with that one, um, mm -hmm. at people's <laughs> instead. So like yeah. I, even that one, I, I started, I twisted around because even though it's a variable kids have done in the past, I had to find a way to do it like right. remotely. Uh, so there's that. So I also like the fact that you asked lots of questions, like you, you sort of went through the iterative process of the questions. And I noticed that, um, you know, when I sort of posed this and uh, talked to you guys, uh, you know, everybody sort of came with a set of questions there. Um, so Ryan, what about you? What are, what are some of the questions that you ask yourself when you're, when you're trying to decide what sort of lab you want to run or, or whether or not something is, is a, a lab or activity that fits into your curriculum? I have a lot of the same basic questions. You know, do I have the time? Do I have the supplies? Um, one thing for me, because I have so many preps, is is the return on investment there. So it, it's kind of selfish, but it's more out of survival. I, I can't put everything into a lab um, if it's not going to get a lot, if the kids are not going to get a lot out of it, because I probably only have one section of that class. So it takes a lot of my time to set up a lab that takes away from my other sections. So I, I need to take into consideration if I'm, if I'm going to put the work into this, I, the, the kids need to be getting something out of it. I can't just be going through the motions of doing a lab. So the, the hallmark example of this is the, is the uh, micros, microscopy E lab where they look at the upside down E and I, I just, I had to stop doing that. It was, I didn't think the kids were getting anything out of it. Um, it, it wasn't worth me setting up all of the microscopes. It wasn't uh, worth me set, you know, going through the whole range of motion for, uh, you know, th this is the arm, this is the, it, it just wasn't worth it to me. Um, another thing, my kids, uh, my, my kids largely are very much, um, they, they want to know how it is relevant to them. Um, more so than most, you know, I have taught in suburban schools, I've taught in urban schools, and I've had students who go through the motions of labs because they know that they just want to, they want to do well in the class. I, I do not have kids that, that are like that really, for the most part, my kids will just not do it if they don't see any correlation to them in their lives. So, um, I have to ask myself, can I frame this around a question that is actually, relevant to them. Um, so some examples of labs that I've done forever um, with my regular biology class, I do the grape osmolarity lab and it's real simple. We just use grape juice, um, water and sugar water, and then they measure the mass of the grape. It, it's very simple, but it allows them to see what is going on. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with my pepper lab, but that's the lab I do in chemistry that teaches lab safety. I that that is my <laughs> go-to lab. It's the lab that I'm known for in the area. 
I might have a um, video, I might have a video of you uh, having oh, our friend Ryan Reardon, who's the invisible <laughs> member of the panel, um, uh, eating hot peppers in Kansas City. <laughs> yes, yes. For, the, for those who don't know, um, who, for those who don't know the lab, it is a lab where I teach lab safety. But I've never been fond of a lab safety lab that doesn't require lab safety. So, like, if we're dealing with salt water. I mean, no one puts on uh, a lab coat and gloves to go in the ocean. So it, it just never made any sense to me. So we use uh, the world's hottest peppers. And I actually have a supplier of peppers who uh, used to be a biology teacher. And he supplies me with all of the world's hottest. That, that is being uh, Carolina Reapers, ghost peppers, scorpions, um, scotch bonnets, everything you can think of. And the kids uh, create dilutions in order to um, de determine the hotness of the pepper. In doing so, they have to use proper lab safety techniques or else they're going to end up scratching their eyes and having to go to the nurse. Or they're going to have to, they're going to, like one of my students did, um, not wash his hands and then put on his jock for football and then didn't get the practice oh, no. made, oh. made a poor decision. Did, so, so what but, was I mean, the parent email that you got from that one? I, I, I didn't. It was, you know, when, when I saw that parent at parent-teacher conferences, he, he should have washed his hands. You, you told him and he didn't. So now he knows. <laughs> Mistakes were made. That's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh Ryan paying off on the on the panel. Yeah, I he, I will tell you that he, he watched. I watched that lab in action. Uh, I, as I said, because you, you presented that um, in Kansas City, it must have been at the AP read um, uh, one of those yep. evenings. It, it was like the grownups were going out of their minds on that lab, <laughs> looking at the different peppers and and going through the dilutions and stuff like that. It was it was very entertaining and super engaging. And, and, you know, we were a bunch of bio nerds, but I can definitely see how that ties in. So engagement definitely seems to drive you a lot. Um, although when you wrote, wrote, wrote the words ROI down um, for return on investment, I know that for me, like I already have come to that moment this year where I started to set something up and then paused and then thought about the scale of setting it up for every student rather than setting it for just six benches because normally I would just set it up for six benches for my six right. lab benches, but I don't have six lab benches. I have every single student in the room has got to get it. And then it has to be repeated the next day. And I was just like, Oh, that they just can't happen this year. So this thing, I got to find a different way to get this skill across. So I think ROI is something that, um, you know, I, I used to think on the macro level, but has a, a whole different calculation right now. Um, and Absolutely. for me, the return on investment is, is huge. So yeah, that's great. All right, Tanea, what about you? What what kind of things? I know that you're getting going last year. You you had the disadvantage because I think a lot of the same concepts have already been said. But but what is sort of your calculus? So you you definitely look at the world through the lens of modeling. So I'm I'm curious to hear how your modeling uh, your modeling lens hits your your lab view. Well, okay. So first of all, I think I've taught at. Um, I started in public school and then I worked internationally in Thailand and then I worked in China and then I um, am at the school where I'm at now. So I haven't been teaching, like I've taught everything. I haven't been <laughs> teaching the same thing for 15 years. And even AP Bio, this is only my third year teaching AP Biology. So mm. everything I do 
is a learning process. Um, in terms of uh, modeling curriculum in the honors bio class, I kind of have these set labs that I do like these, uh, these paradigm labs that we do to kind of introduce the topic and pull out the students' misconceptions um, where they kind of present their understanding up front at the beginning of the unit. And it gives you a sense of like, well, where are you starting? What kind of misconceptions do you have to run through or work through with the students? What do the students already know? And what are you going to have to really build in the rest of the unit? So it's almost it's almost like the opposite of how Lee does it. Um, mm -hmm. But the, those uh, any any modeling lab or activity, it's really um, time consuming. And so no matter what I do, there's always a there's always I'll say I'm going to do this activity in this way, but I always pay at the end because it has it takes a lot of time to have these discussions and find out what the kids think and how they're thinking and what misconceptions they have. So uh, I only see my students four times a week for 50 minutes at a time. Um, and then we have all types of other things that happen like retreats and service days that pull us out of class. Um, so I, I feel like time is the, is the, is the thing that really works against me and then experience um my personal experience it's so much easier to time something correctly and to, to set it up and to do it and to know how long it's going to take when you've done it like five times 10 times 15 <laughs> times already and because i was teaching environmental science when i first started at the school um i spent like you know two three years focusing on environmental science and now i've had to really switch and focus on biology um and so that's a it's a huge shift um yeah so in, in terms of ap i'm really struggling i'm gonna be honest i'm i'm like going week by week with ap bio and every time you guys talk you make me so nervous because i'm like oh my gosh it sounds like there's so much further than i am and um so i'm really uh and i had a really really rough year last year with ap bio i mean like you know most of my kids like passed the test and everything and but um just some of the the kids didn't buy into like my way of teaching um, they weren't like the most respectful kids that you would be in the world or they were. And then the pandemic happened and then a lot of the seniors were really uh, depressed um, about not being able to finish up their year with their prom and their, you know, their everything, their sports. And so um, it's just it's just been um, everything's been a challenge. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess um. I'm going to, yeah, time, experience, equipment needed. I start on Monday, you guys, with all the kids back in class. So I'm super stressed about that, too. And I, I'm trying to reimagine what that's going to look like for my labs. And I, I'll be honest, I really don't know. Hmm. I'm just <laughs> week by week. Yeah. So, so just so you know, um, I am working week by week right now. <laughs> um, I do have sort of a master like overarching goals that I was able to do thanks to experience, but like literally I am 
I, I, I am still week to week, like putting one week at a time and figuring out what this new schedule looks like and how I'm going to do things and, and that sort of stuff. So from that, that end, and, and similarly, you know, um, my, my seniors is as good as my students are and as, as, as on track as they are, my seniors checked out hard last year too. Um, and, and probably were, I would say that I had a couple of seniors who probably would have been fours or fives who were threes because they, they, because they were just, as you said, they were depressed. They were, they were unmotivated. Their sleep schedules got off. They, they really, by the time the AP rolled around the, they, they, they were mourning the end of their senior year. Mm -hmm, Um, Definitely. And and so, yeah, I, I think um, you're, you're hard on yourself because that's part of what makes you great at what you do, <laughs> but you're not, I'll say you'll never be behind me because I don't teach in any sort of linear logical sense. So don't worry. I am ne- you'll never be behind me on the AP schedule of units. Cause I don't follow it at all. Well, um. But I, I don't follow it either, but I'm like, I haven't gotten through like this many units. Cause I kind of mix it all up. Like, so yeah. if someone says they got through three units, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, I don't think I've, <laughs> gotten through that yet i don't know and then every every three weeks they switch like the schedule changes we were virtual then we were hybrid now we're gonna go live and then somebody's gonna get COVID 19 and then we're gonna go back to something else you know yeah well i've i've only been hybrid for two weeks and that's i'm two weeks into the school year right now so i haven't done a lab with my ebs yet so when this is when this comes out i will have done my first i've i will have done my first baseline lab so i guess that leads me into sort of my lens um of how i do this and um like a lot of things i am partially happy with sort of my approach to lab and i'm partially not happy with my approach to lab um, at this point in my career so um so i am really happy with the way i do labs in ap biology um and that is myself and my colleague through some pushing and some pulling and some like figuring out and some philosophical discussions, we came to the idea that we wanted our students to have a lab notebook. And in the lab notebook, we wanted them to authentically engage in science. And so we want them to be shown a background lab and be told how they can collect data and how they can generate that data. And it's very simple. So we want to give them a baseline procedure. We want them to collect that data, do a little analysis. Then we want them to brainstorm out some possible questions that they can do. So Lee, you mentioned the sodium alginate, um, mm-hmm. calcium chloride, and yeast sphere lab, which, by the way, there is a um, 0.15 molar solution of calcium chloride on the counter behind me. Um, guess, <laughs> guess what I'm doing tomorrow? Yeah, I was um, <laughs> my, stir, my stir plate and yeast are over there too. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I will be making uh, yeast balls all, all day um, tomorrow uh, to stock up because there's no place for me to do it in my building. Uh, but anyway, uh, so for that's the lab we're going to do. So that's the baseline lab. Like I'm going to give them the simple procedure. I'm going to give them all the materials and every single kid is going to go do that. And then they're going to collect their data and then I'll teach them like, you know, central tendency with statistics. How do you do mean standard deviation, standard error? How do you do error bars on yours? If everybody in the group was to do uh, two standard error error bars on theirs and you take everybody from your lab group and put them on there, is there a statistically significant difference between the four of you or three of you um, to like, can you, is there a significant difference between, uh, the data you guys collected, you know, so that kind of thing. And so that's just sort of the baseline. We talk about the procedures and materials and methods. Then I ask them to brainstorm out questions they have about the general topic. And then, um, that could be anything from like, well, how would this be different if I exposed the, the catalase to 
um, you know, an asset or a base or that sort of thing. And then I have them do a lit review. What I then do is I give them some sources and then I give them some ways of looking things up in primary and secondary literature sources. And I ask them to get some information about the topic. And each one of them in the lab notebook should give me, you know, two or three paragraphs about the topic that they got either from a primary or secondary literature source. And then from there they go and they pick one of those as a group, come up with a hypothesis, design a lab, do a follow-up lab, write a conclusion, <laughs> and then say what they would do as their follow-up lab. And I go through that whole thing to say that the lens that I look at to pick a lab for AP biology is can I have them do that? Because if they can't do that, then they can't engage and do their own independent experimentation out of it. If I can't give them a procedure that they can then do their own lab from, they're not going to be able to engage with as many skills. And then back to Ryan's return on investment, then I'm not, I'm only going to invest a small amount. Then it's a demo or it's a, it's a, a startup activity and it's something like that. It's going to be something small. It's not going to be big but if i can get the kids to do all of those things we'll, we'll spend three weeks doing that thing how long did we, it take you to get to that point so i would say we were starting to do we had a couple of labs that we had sort of worked out that that's how we wanted to do them or close uh i, I don't know how old am i it took me like 46 years to get there um no <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i i would say that uh i got we got there it was probably my like 16th or 17th year teaching that I got to that. And it's hard to say what informed all of that, but I would say it was a combination of having tried, having done some labs where I asked the kids to do follow-ups. And then like I would do a lab and I would try to think of how I was going to get the kids to write them up. And I couldn't figure out what I would do or I'd do it. <clears throat> like a, my, the example I often give is um, we used to do a, a like a, a little demo type lab with um, gel electrophoresis. And it was like a fake whodunit kind of lab where mm -hmm. we would have food coloring and we would give them and they'd try to solve the crime um, from that. Like we would have them first do like blood typing and figure out who could be a, sub uh, a suspect based off of blood typing using like the synthetic blood you can get from Carolina. And then from there, we they would filter down to who could have the the right type of blood f f to match the crime scene. And then they would run a gel and they'd run like six wells in there. One would be the crime scene DNA and then the other would be the DNA extracted from the other people. And and it was just like food coloring in gel electrophoresis. So it was, gives an opportunity to talk about some of the basics of that. Um, and it was very cool and the kids liked it. But I would try to have them do a lab write up on it. And it wasn't it, it didn't make any sense. Like. <clears throat> there was a right answer. There wasn't a, like, they really weren't engaged in science. They were solving a puzzle, but they weren't really doing a scientific investigation. They didn't have, they, they didn't have an open question to begin with. They really didn't do any background research beforehand. Like all of it was given to them. Um, they didn't really have a way to be, have an informed hypothesis. Like, because it, it, it just was, it was too, it was too closed of an investigation. And so doing stuff like that started to make me think about what was worth the time to do a lab and what was not worth the time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I think that for me, that's the big lens that I've been looking through when I'm, I try to find a lab. Now, the, what I said is I'm happy with that in AP and in honors, I, I'm still not thrilled with our selection of labs because I think I still want that lens, but we cover so many topics. I feel like we're, 
we're so topic and activity heavy with our younger students mm -hmm. that I want to get into flow state. But part of the part of it is that like we have so many different things we want to expose them to that I don't think we do a great job clearing the kind of space that's necessary. Sort of what you were saying, Tanea, like deep thinking on things takes time and, and you got to create that time in your curriculum. Like you just have to create it. And if you try to do too many activities, it's hard to create that time. So I still struggle with it and really coming up with something that, that fits that. And also I think that some of the things I asked my AP kids to do, frankly, my honors students won't really be ready to do that until like April or May in a non-pandemic year. Like they have to learn a lot of skills before they get to that point. My AP kids, they're doing that like week three of the year. They can do a lab with those 10 sections. My honors kids wouldn't really be able to do that until the spring usually. And can you tell the listeners, because I'm sure there's some like new AP bio teachers that are listening, you know, the ones who are like on Facebook and are panicking <laughs> about the year. Um, how long have you guys been teaching AP bio, like AP bio specifically? Because this is my third year for AP bio. 17 years as of this year. Ooh. Yeah, so I've seen, yeah, so I've seen three iterations of this curriculum. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And and this is my 10th. And so I have just barely seen three iterations. I was trained um, <laughs> uh, by Joan Carlson. Um, <laughs> uh, to, uh, as Joan Carlson was retiring 10 years ago, I think, Lee, you might know Joan. Mm -hmm, from the I do. Yeah. So I, but Joan's like last year that she was running, while she was teaching and running, uh, running AP uh, Summer Institute back there, which I don't think they were called APSIs back then. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, I had her. I had her for uh, for, to, for my training, and she was sort of teaching us the old curriculum and the new curriculum at the same time because that was rolling out. So, but yeah, just sort of what Lee's saying. I, I got to see the the old way and the new way, and I also started teaching AP. This is another, and this is something I cannot stress enough. I started teaching AP having already taught for fourteen years, you know, before I did it, and the teacher that I taught with had been teaching AP for ten years or actually, I guess, eight years. And the two of us worked together for 10 years. So like, I was taking a curriculum that was already worked out by a colleague who had been working for a long time, came in, we already had an establishing trusting relationship. Like, you know, it, it, there were so much, I had so many advantages of starting up compared to most AP teachers who start up. Nancy and I had been teaching for six years at the time that I started. So I was but a wee baby teacher when I started teaching AP. And so, I mean, I, I've taught this course for most of my career, you know, for over three quarters of my career. And so, you know, and I didn't have, you know, a collaborator. I, I came to my school um, to basically revive a dying AP program. And, you know, my situation was such that the person who had taught the course before me was teaching in the room next door, but didn't help me. So I had to build everything from scratch. And so, you know, I've worked through, you know, I'd worked through everything. I'd written a whole lot of original stuff. I mean, it's, this is, so what I'm running now is, is basically, you know, the culmination of all of that work, you know, and now I have a team that I manage and we tweak and add new things, you know, as we need to. You know, and in the last couple of years, we've changed things quite a lot simply because of changes in grading philosophy. Um, you know, the way, you know, especially this year, our, our grading philosophy is completely different than it's ever been. Um, but for the better. Um, 
and you know so it's it's just been this constantly you know evolving and changing thing you know and every year we we try to make those small tweaks for the benefit of kids you know it's not for us it's you know are these kids learning are they you know how can we get better than we were the year before you know because for us it's like okay there's still room to improve there's always room to improve you know because until we get to 100% qualifying scores you know then then we're not you know we're we there's always going to be room for improvement and then for uh for me i i had only been teaching 3 years when i started t- teaching ap and in fact my ap was the first ap class at my at, in my whole district so I was the only AP, I've, I've only ever been the only AP teacher at the schools I teach at. So I, I really haven't ever had anyone to collaborate with besides in the teacher community and on the Facebook group. Um, our group is, or our area is much more dual credit focused, not so much um, AP focused. And so when I started, I, I want to say I was the only AP teacher within a hundred miles. Wow. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. So you're the only two. We went over this last week. A hundred miles. That means like you you had to go to like Kansas or Arkansas right. to get an AP teacher. <laughs> like right. Wow. Pretty much. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I'll go back also the fact that like you know for me because of my my age and my experience and um like I try I don't want to say this like. I'm going to try to say this in a humble way and it's just not going to come out that way. Uh, But like, I kind of know everybody right now. Like uh, you guys know, I interviewed all of you guys. I've I've been interviewing people for four years and I have a way of like, uh, you can hopefully all appreciate this. Uh, I impose my curiosity on other people um, (laughs) in hopefully the most delightful of ways. Uh, But as a result, I've made a lot of collaborations with both other high school biology teachers, other AP teachers, and also college people. So for example, like this week, um, I am doing pitfall traps in my at my school to do biodiversity collection um and that is a complete ripoff of paul strode's pitfall Mm -hmm. trap thing that he's been doing on his campus for years but i'm also doing it as part of collecting insects to do the wabakia project which Ah, some people might know bob coon has has been doing but wabakia project was launched by seth bordenstein who's now at vanderbilt when he was at woods hole and the first group of teachers he trained how to do wabakia included my co-teacher in ap biology so brian dempsey was one of the first high school teachers who ever did the wabakia project ever um and i've i've run parts of workshops with seth (laughs) like he brought me in as a teacher expert to talk about how to implement parts of him so like I just like know a whole bunch of crap. And so when I get into a place like this year, I go, all right, let's just like turn the wheel and pick some stuff and say, how do these things piece together? And because, you know, of experience, as you're saying, I just kind of do the stuff that makes sense for me. And then I figure out how it fits the curriculum. I I sort of start from like what interests me most. Um, And I think that that's sort of where I fall back. So I would say for Tanea, for you, like if there's stuff, I mean, modeling is your strength like model the heck out of your curriculum, like, you know, use, <laughs> like fall back on those things. And, and the other stuff will come. Um, but I, to me, like, as I said, this year, our curriculum very much hits the things that I do really, really well. And I'm not necessarily, I don't know about you guys. I don't, ha- I don't feel like I got a whole lot of bandwidth to learn a whole lot more than I already have to learn. Like, right. yeah, I, I I've only got so on- much there. Yeah, go ahead. Are, are you guys on a block schedule too? Because I think you're ske- like it's sometimes it's hard. We have to clean the tables between classes now, and there's yeah. just 
things we mm-hmm. have to consider that we didn't have to consider before. So um, depending on what your schedule is and which classes go back to back and anyways, how much time you have between classes, I'm, I'm trying to imagine like I have to have 15 sets of whatever and then have <laughs> 15 more ready to go for the next class. And I just don't like I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, and the way our schedule is, is because we have kids at home and kids in person. Um, because that's apparently what hybrid learning at my school looks like, um, which is uh, completely nuts, but it is what it is, I guess. And and so we have, you know, the first 45 to 50 minutes of the period as synchronous learning time, right? Like I'm online teaching kids and teaching those teaching the kids in front of me at the same time. And then we have the remainder of the period as quote unquote asynchronous learning time, which is not truly asynchronous, but hey, whatever, that's what they're calling it. And during the last five minutes of that time is when I'm supposed to go around, spray every table, spray every chair, let that stuff sit for however long it's got to sit. And and so there's just no way that that we could do labs at all, you know, because number one, it's not equitable um, for our kids at home, you know, because mm-hmm. for I know that there are a lot of teachers out there who are distributing lab supplies to students and I'm like, well, how many sections do y'all have? <laughs> because at my campus, we run 11 sections of AP Bio. Wow. And so, yeah. And, and so there's no way that we could distribute lab supplies to every kid, you know, especially not, you know, especially when roughly eh, 200 of our 300 and some odd kids are at home, you know, and, 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 and so we would have to go and take this stuff to them because the last time we had some kind of a distribution event, people caught COVID. <laughs> and so, so it's like, yeah, no, I, we're not going to do that. There's, there's no way for us to do that. And so we're not doing any kind of wet labs this year. You know, it's just, it's, it's not practical for us. It's not safe. And our budget is so lean right now because they're pouring a lot of money into tech tools, you know, since we've got all these kids learning from home. And so, you know, that and the state of Texas doesn't feel fit to, doesn't see fit to fund its public schools appropriately. Um, And, and so we, we're, trying the best that we can to give our kids a good science experience experience. But I just, I, what I'm afraid of is that kids are going to go through this year having not touched anything, you know, in terms of lab experiments or anything. And they're going to be like, you know what? I thought I wanted to be a biology major and now I don't. (laughs) And, and that makes me very sad. You know, that makes me incredibly sad because so many of my former students, you know, even the kids that are seniors now that took me when they were sophomores two years ago have said, I took your class and I loved it and I'm applying to college and, you know, now I'm going to be a biology major and I'm like, oh, this is so great. And I have a feeling that we're just not going to see that after this year Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, I mean, you're you're hitting upon science as a noun instead of science as a verb is the way I mm-hmm. often say it. And a lot of the structure of what we're doing right now, you know, it's it it pulls us towards being content focused over process focus. Um, mm-hmm. That's in there. Uh, but yeah, I, I you you mentioned the definition of synchronous and asynchronous, and I think we're gonna have to come back to that later. But yeah. your definitions and the the um, 
made up definitions that my school made up were very different. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and I figured out also while you were talking that uh, Tanea, when you make up the rap, uh, the the rap that we're going to make up is going to be called Hygiene Theater. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> But I, I have a feeling that we're going to be spraying some bottles. I don't know what it goes to, what the what the background <laughs> song is, but I think the name has got to be Hygiene Theater because because we are performing it daily anyway. Might nice. as well turn it into a song. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things rhyme with fomites. So anyway. Um... <laughs> Oh, so, yeah. so we, I think we've, I think we've nailed the challenges and I think Lee, you, you hit upon sort of a lot of the challenges that are there, but I do want to hear from others. Like, what are the challenges that you guys are, are, are hitting? Uh, so Tanea, you, you were just mentioning sort of your schedule, like that you, you've been online, you've been hybrid and now you're going to fly, fly, like what, and the experience piece in the springtime, is there anything we haven't talked about? That's a challenge that, that, that you are worried about or concerned about? I think my my social emotional well being is is more of a challenge at this point than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm like I said because AP Bio is not is is more new for me. I'm I've been I do a lot of um, like activities from HHMI um, mm-hmm. Bio Interactive, and I feel like I can get a lot of uh, the kids can learn a lot of uh, data analysis and they, we can discuss interesting topics. And so I think the kids are finding it were um, really interesting. We're learning a lot about how to use Excel and <laughs> some of the kids are a little mad at me about that. Um, but I'm like, it's a skill. You'll appreciate it later. I promise. Yep. Um, so yeah, everything is, there. there is not one thing that is not a challenge. And even the budget, like Lee mentioned, I am, not sure like I could buy these individual kits for the kids and I got some price from lab aids and I'm like mm-hmm. when when I got the price I was like oh oh okay <laughs> like and I was like maybe I have to rethink which things I want to buy um my school has like they have money but it's not unlimited and I know that everybody has kind of shifted where some of their money has gone this year so we invested in pivot and other things as well. So I, I just don't know what the year is going to look like, but I'm going to do the mm-hmm. best job that I can to engage the kids. Like it's a student centered class, whether it's a pandemic or not, my kids mm-hmm. are doing something. I'm not standing up talking and lecturing about anything. They're doing all the work. So whether they're <laughs> physically getting their hands wet with the sink and with, you know, lab equipment and, um, veneer probes and things like that or they're doing a simulation or they're creating their own mathematical model or something on you know or they have paper cutouts at least they're doing something and so that's i can say that Mm. they'll be doing the work not me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's a great place to start um Lee did, Lee, did we hit all of your concerns? I, I actually, I, I know the answer to that, but um, maybe really should rephrase that. Lee, have we hit all of your like top shelf pressing concerns? <laughs> well, I mean, I really am curious to know, like, and this is just kind of a, a somewhat rhetorical question because 
it's like I said, you know, these people that are distributing lab stuff to their kids that are at home. I'm like, how are you doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, where's the funding for this coming from? And how many students are you distributing to? You know, because I had posed the question on Twitter a while back about, so, so how are y'all doing this? You know, asking for a friend, that friend is me, because I'm just like, for my students, you know, most of my students are at home. You know, I have maybe 40 of my 113 AP students physically in my classroom. Wow. You know, that's it. Um, if I'm, if I even count correctly, no, it's not even 40. I think it's more like 35, um, but it's not many. And, and so, you know, the, the bulk of my kids are at home. And so this whole idea of doing wet labs at home, you know, and doing wet labs with the kids in class is it's, it's inequitable, you yeah. know, because like I can't rely on my, my at-home students to have the things that they need, you know, to be able to do these labs. And, and I'm not about to put together lab kits for that many kids, you know? And so, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, how can we solve this problem? And so when I presented this problem to the team at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, we've got to figure out how to do this and still give the kids lab experience. And so we decided to go with Pivot Interactives. And, and we've used a couple of them so far, and we're getting ready to embark on our third one this week, and it seems to work pretty okay so far. Um, there's, I can talk more about that, I think, in the next episode. Yeah. But, um, but you know, right now, that's, that's where we're at. And what I really kind of hate about this whole situation is that, you know, everything that, like, okay, so my teacher training program was a traditional one. Like, I went and did all the theory classes and all of that business. Um and everything I've learned about teaching science, what we're doing right now is malpractice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really, truly is malpractice because it's it's not collaborative. It's not, you know, it's not terribly engaging. And I hate to say that, um, you know, it's not really prodding kids to think so much. You know, kids are isolated from one another in class. And I mean, it's just not good teaching. And it, I mean, it, it's, and it goes counter to, it runs counter to everything I do and the way that I teach my course, you know, and the way I have my students normally interact with each other. And it, and it just, it, it kills me. It hurts my soul to have to teach this way, you know, because I know that my class can be so much better than it is right now, but because we are so restricted onto how much students are allowed to interact with one another, how much I can interact with them, it's, it's just so discouraging, you know, because I'm, like I said before, I'm just afraid that kids are going to come away from this experience, not feeling like they've really truly learned science, you know, or how the scientific process works, because we've, we've just kind of put stuff in front of them and said, okay, here's what science is. And I don't want them to feel like, you know, that, that, you know, this is what it is because it's not, you know, it's, it's just not. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get the wheels flowing. We're gonna get the wheels turning for you and the ideas flowing for you, Lee, by the end of the next episode. I, I I'm pretty sure. Um, as as dark as it is right now, I think yes. <laughs> I, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna find some of those. I think there I I, I I am I was in a very very I I have been in a very similar place to you, but I, I think I've come with some solution. So I'm gonna hold okay, that good. thought for now. <laughs> 
Um, and some of the thinking, and you're going to probably be able to tear my thinking apart and bring me down again, but we're going to try to get, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to try to get in the right place. Well, All my right. husband does call me a reality facilitator. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, I don't really live in reality anyway. So that's fine. That's fine. Do any of us. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, Ryan, um, I think I saw you, uh, had to, uh, be not present in your class this week. Uh, were you in fact quarantined at some point? Yes, in fact, fifty percent of our school is quarantined. So as oh of last Friday, God. we went wow. yeah, we went one hundred percent virtual. Um, I've been quarantined since last Friday because I'm one of the volleyball coaches, and the other two volleyball coaches tested positive. So oh, no. I, I am asymptomatic. I got tested and I was negative. So, but I was also one of the few that wore a mask the entire time. Um, so I. I am fine, but as you said, I haven't been able to be on campus. Now, when I would Zoom with my students, I found that my biggest class might have six kids in it because we're everyone is quarantined. So um, we that's kind of what we're dealing with is we, we don't know who's going to show up the next day or who is going to be newly quarantined. We get lists, you know, daily of who is who is newly quarantined. And of course, at a school as small as ours, let's say 20 kids get quarantined. Well, that's 10% of our population. So we're, it doesn't take much for us to, to our numbers to shoot through the roof. And so I'm, I'm actually at home. My kids are still at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there's, there are going to, we're still going to be at home this coming week. And so we're going to see it at the end of this coming week um, if we can go back in person. Um, obviously, I, I think obviously going starting face to face caused the current problem that we're in. So I don't understand why we are trying to go back to face to face, but <laughs> I, I'm not getting paid to make that decision. So whatever. Um so for me, it was a matter of like kind of what Tanea was saying. I, I see my kids four days a week because we only have four days a week. We don't have a fifth day. We, we're on, on 40 weeks. And I see them. We, we are not on block. So I see them about 55 minutes every day. Um, so I have to spend a lot of like I have to spend a lot of time ingraining in their heads. OK, you guys are going to be doing the disinfecting along with me. This is part of the lab. Um I got to make sure that I, they know that I don't care what their personal political philosophy is. You are wearing a mask because if you're going to get COVID, it's not going to be in my class. And if you're going to spread COVID, it's not going to be because of my class. So um, trying to keep things as socially distanced as possible and getting kids to follow correct, um, you know, CEC guidelines that, that has been the, the, biggest challenge. Um, I also teach a dual credit anatomy and physiology class. And um, the, the dual credit is for a lecture section, which is three hours, and a lab section, which is one hour. And so I'm running into an additional problem because my kids who are virtual, they there is no, um, there's no virtual option for this. So when I asked Missouri State, you know, what do I do with these virtual students? They can't do the labs with me. They just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, they can't do the class. Sorry. I mean, they can get high school credit if you want to give it to them, but they're not going to get college credit because they're not doing any labs. So 
now I've got kids who are forced with making the decision. Do I stay in the class or do I risk my health by coming into school to just do labs? It, it sucks, but that's kind of the reality that we're in right now, at least with anatomy and physiology. Hmm. Anatomy and physiology particularly would be tough. Um, I mean, right. I don't know how you, you like, you know, they just, <laughs> there's only so many things they can do. Um, right. Right. Yeah. We, um, we, we subscribe to a canned curriculum called Edgenuity for our students that are virtual. There just unfortunately is not a Edgenuity course for anatomy and physiology. Somehow there is one for AP bio though, which I don't understand, but again, I didn't, I don't get paid to make those decisions. Uh, so it, it's just kind of a weird deal. Have, have they said if virtual labs would count as the labs, like if they were to do a virtual lab? They would, but they have to approve the virtual labs. And as of right now, Missouri State has not found enough virtual labs that would cover everything in the the course, the lab courses curriculum. Mm. So I, I've, been, I've been asking them and I've been asking everyone, you know, what virtual labs do you have for this specific lab that I have to do? And it's, I mean, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So it's, it's not like, um, you know, there, there's anyone who's experienced with pandemics right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I do wonder about contact if, you know, I'm surprised, well, maybe not surprised, but um, I would be surprised if there was no university out there particularly knowing that a lot of the universities are closed that, that, that couldn't provide online support um, for, I, for that kind of inquiry. And, and because my class is a gen ed as well as a majors class, they offer it online. So I figured why they, they've got to have something for the online students, but apparently they didn't. So I, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to brainstorm that one out. Uh, yeah. About how to do that? You should. You should email my school and tell them to send you files from their anamatage table. Did I say that right? Anamatage, anamatage table. Do you know that? I don't, I don't even know what that is. No, I don't know that one. It's like a giant table, and it represents a dead body. And but instead of it being a real dead body, it's like the video files pop up with a dead body, and then you can cut up the dead oh. body and slice it any way you want, and then it's like a bar. Yeah, it's like a it's virtual like, reality kind but of. But it's like the size of a it's the size of a person's body though, and then you oh. could flip it. You could flip it up and make it be in like presentation mode too. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, my kids would think that was witchcraft. That, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what section you're doing next. I'll go talk to Mr. White and I'll tell him to send you some files. Oh, we're still in we're biomed, get, so right now connection. we're just doing cells. So, you know, so simple cell labs, that, that's what I'm looking for right now. I'm on it. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to find you some stuff, and um, I'm going to try to rack my brain. I, it's not, anatomy and physiology is not part of my world. It's the, the those things are way too big, you know. I like, <laughs> yeah. Fruit flies is like giant in my world. So, um. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'm not going to take up too much time, but because um, I think I've already hit my my biggest concern, which is that cost benefit issue that it's just not worth. And I think, you know, today I was talking about it with the time. You know, I've, I'm pretty lucky in terms of time 
and the way my schedule got set up. Um, I have my APs in the morning and I have my uh, honors classes in the afternoon. And I am the only person in my room for the first six periods of the day. Uh, and so they didn't schedule anybody during my one prep. So I actually get to eat lunch in my room by myself. I can shut the doors and hide out from the world. Um, and and so I, I have the space. So if I set something up, I actually have a prep period in between my APs and my honors. So I can come in first thing in the morning and set up AP activities. And then I have a period to break that down and set up for my honors. So I, I, I just got very lucky in my setup. But even with that said, keeping the kids physically distanced, I'm used to setting up six sta stations. And in my biggest section, I have 16 kids in one of my hybrid sections, my, my AP, my in-person AP class, because I have an, an in-person and a remote, my AP section has 31 students in it. Um, so that's 16 on one day and 15 on another, and they're spread all around the room. But that means if I want them all to get the hands-on experience, I have to have 16 setups one day and 15 the other, and not six. And that's an enormous amount of work um, to set up 16 lab stations. So. Um, I'm super stressed about whether or not I have the time to set those things up to get the materials ready. And then, as you said, some of the things like we're not going to, I don't think we're going to be doing a whole heck of a lot of PCR this year because I can't share the pipettes. I don't have that many pipettes. I can't like, there's a lot of these things that I always do and I'm set up to run it in six groups and have shared materials. And I just don't have that many copies of those things. So the way I run group activities and translating group activities into individualized shared space activities is probably the most stressful thing for me this year and has been the biggest challenge on making labs a reality. So, all right. Well, I'm glad we came up with a, a solution or a possible solution or the start of a solution for Ryan's biggest dilemma that mm -hmm. Tanae is going to try to help with because otherwise this was a downer of an episode. Um, <laughs> Which is 2020. Yeah, yeah. but... Um, it got my wheels turning. I actually am starting to think about some stuff. And I think that Lee's frustration like has made me like, I want to be a, a helper on this one. So uh, I'm going to put a pin at the end of episode 104 here. I'm going to wrap this episode and I, I promise you come back for 105. We're going to, we're going to find a positive space uh, in, in episode 105. <laughs> uh, so let me, uh, let me wrap this up. Uh, we would love your feedback. Uh, you can either uh, DM or tweet at me at life of the school or at Mr. Matthew tweets, share uh, your challenges of running labs in the upcoming year. Or Hey, if there's a lab that you've been running and you've come to these COVID times and you can still run that lab, don't keep it to yourself. Uh, we would like to know. So yeah, please share. <laughs> yeah, we would be happy to hear those things. Uh, all right, credits uh, for this episode. Uh, subscribe to Life of School on your podcast player of choice. Um, it is good to see that our numbers have held, held solid from going from my solo efforts to our panel efforts. Um, I'm expecting that uh, Lee Ferguson bump. I'm expecting the, the numbers <laughs> to go up as we go here. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to catch you on a little bit. Um, Please, uh, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash lots and support the episodes that we're putting out here. Uh, also, uh, music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. Uh, show notes can also be found at lifeoftheschool.org in addition to on our Patreon. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Life of the School. So we're going to put a pin in this and we'll see you all during episode 105. <laughs>